Hello there, my friend, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. In case you're new to the show, I'm your host, Ben Brown, a nutrition and fitness expert, and I'm the owner of BSL Nutrition, an online coaching company whose mission is to help you change your belief system around what it means to be healthy. And in this episode, I'll help you do that by breaking down three incredibly common but often overlooked obstacles that we all encounter when it comes to realistic weight loss. Now, this was an interview I did with my friend Elliot Shackney on his Leaner After 40 podcast that I wanted to share with you here. Specifically, I'll discuss three major components of both psychological and physical change and how these can inhibit our long-term progress. As always, I appreciate you tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, hey folks, Elliot Shackney here from Orion Strength and the Leaner After 40 community. Welcome to the Leaner After 40 podcast. Special guest here today, I'm really excited to, to talk to him. This is, uh, this is Benjamin Brown. There's going to be a lot of takeaways from this and some sort of immediate action steps that, that will, I think will help a lot of you. And so like I was saying, Ben here is the owner and head coach at BSL Nutrition. Uh, he is an expert in nutrition and training and program design, and he specializes in working with people who want to build a better body and create the energy to show up for their family and community without adding more to their plate. You know, so if you're, if you're a busy, if you have a busy professional life or personal life or kids or family or 12 dogs, uh, you know, you, you, you want to be able to see these changes without adding a whole bunch of mental bandwidth. Uh, and so if, if that's you, this is the episode for you to really pay attention to. Ben's uh, unique method, the pure science proven results process has helped thousands of clients all over the world. Yeah. All over the world. I think you have yeah, international sure. clients, yeah. um, has helped them achieve more energy, more clarity, more confidence and faster fat loss. Uh, and what's awesome is he really delivers it with, with no nonsense guidance. He's going to, he's going to be straight to the point with you and, uh, and get it done. And there's no fad diets or crash diets and no excessive workouts. And what I really love about his method is that it really does make smart nutrition simple. And it allows you to finally take control of your nutrition and your fitness and your lifestyle habits in a way that fits a busy schedule. And, you know, just plain and simple, he knows how to get results. And I've been incredibly fortunate to have him as a friend and a colleague over the years. And, and I've even gone to him for help with, uh, you know, a bunch of times when, when I've been stumped on something with a client. And so I'm honored to have him here with us today. And so here he is, uh, Ben Brown. Cue the, cue the roaring, uh, roaring applause. Dude, that was a heck of an intro. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be here and excited to share hopefully some, uh, you know, valuable information with your audience. Uh, I'm excited too. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot, you know, ourselves uh, about this stuff and, you know, we work with it with our clients and it really is stuff that we do this because we want everyone to know about it. And so this is great that you're kind of letting the audience in behind the curtain with, with your process and, and how you've helped clients get results. So I'm excited for them to hear it too. You hit the nail on the head and, you know, with our company, BSL Nutrition, we believe that your health determines your freedom. And within that is the best thing that we can do is give you the information uh, and, the, and the ability to apply that information in a realistic way. 
right? And and I think at the end of the day, it's just, listen, there's so much information out there. It's so easy to be overwhelmed. And, and when you've been doing this as long as you and I have, I think you really get to a point where you understand the things that are going to move the needle, which by the way, we're going to share with you today, um, to the degree that we want to make it as simple as possible. And that's why, you know, we have our pure science proven results process. That's why part of one of our tagline is to help you make smart nutrition simple. So with that said, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Let's, let's dive in. As the title says here today, we're talking about the most common, but unknown weight loss ob obstacles. So these are things that you might not be realizing that you're doing that might be impeding your progress. Uh, a lot of stuff that just kind of goes, it just kind of happens. And maybe it's either um, uh, sort of a, uh, uh, selectively forgetting that, that you're doing it, or you might just not realize that you're doing some of these things and, and then some action steps to correct it. Yeah. And so um, if you had to create a, a hierarchy for these, what's what's number one that you want to start off with? It's a great question um, because I I do think that there needs to be some level of a hierarchy of understanding like how these things become overlooked or relatively unknown when they're so seemingly simple, which, you, which you'll soon realize. But I would say underline all of this is an overly restrictive mindset, right? First and foremost is what happens when the majority of people want to lose weight? Well, we you know, jump onto Mr. Google and, and or Dr. Google, right? And we, we, you know, look up how to do whole 30 or 75 hard or keto or um, paleo or whatever. Like we end up do feel like we need to do something that invariably ends up feeling overly restrictive, right? It's not to say we don't get progress for a week or two weeks or a month or six months, but at some point, and you and I have both had the conversation, I'm sure for many of you listening is you've gone down the road of being quote unquote successful for a period of time with one of these quote unquote fad diets, after which point you just weren't able to continue to maintain the progress that you had made because what happens, life gets in the way, you travel, kids are out of school, summer break, stressor in the family. These are all the things that we call, you know, life bumps, road bumps, death in the family, a freaking pandemic, who knows, you know, what's going to happen. But the reality is that when we approach these things from an overly restrictive mindset, that in and of itself, psychologically speaking, can be a significant limiting factor to progress, right? We can make progress for a, a, a short period of time, but all of the research would suggest that it's very difficult to maintain for any substantial period of time. And that's why I've kind of alluded to some of the more low-hanging fruit as being the things that are going to move the needle in the most realistic way that we can start to dive into. And within that, Elliot, is um, a few different things relating to one, just caloric intake is seemingly simple ways to manage the amount of calories that we're taking in, as well as the amount of calories that we're expending. Now, Calories aren't the end-all be-all, but they are an extremely large portion of the, of the weight loss puzzle, right? And I think all of us can agree that if we're not managing our calories to any reasonable degree, we're going to have a very hard time losing weight. That's straight physics. That's what every single one of those diets will do for you. Right? If you intermittent fast and you just skip a meal or two per day, well, you're, you're, you're automatically reducing your calorie intake. If you go keto, you're eliminating entire food groups, 
If you go paleo, you're eliminating all of these processed foods. That's a lot of calories. We work with a lot of, you know, highly driven and, and busy mothers and fathers that are, again, just looking for reasonable ways to start to move the needle without having to go full ham. And, and getting burnt out. And so, as I said, we've got a number of things that revolve around how to manage your calorie intake, and then certainly kind of revolving around caloric expenditure through movement. Got it. Yeah. You know, the, the, that idea about the overly restrictive mindset, you mentioned how those examples of those fad diets or whatever, likely at some point stop working. Do you feel like it's also the pressure of being restrictive eventually becomes a negative and if someone does have any of those road bumps that comes up, then that that can actually do way more harm than good. Or they might think they want this very clear plan, but if anything goes awry, then do, do, do you yeah. find that clients really kind of spiral because of that? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we need something that fits within our lifestyle. And as much as we'd like to relegate ourselves to being the type of person that's myopically focused on sticking to a certain meal plan and avoiding certain foods and only eating these food groups and having all of this structure or at least believing that that's what needs to happen that's just not real life for the vast majority of people yet what we see uh, in the media and on social media of all of these influencers so to speak of having these very regimented diets well you know the reality is they probably also don't have th this is in all likelihood their profession they're already genetically blessed they've been doing this for years and years and years they've been strength training for you know a significant period of time it just doesn't align with what the average american and and probably for what most of you that are listening to this conversation um, align with. It's just not reasonable, nor practical, nor necessary. So much so that when we go down the road of overly restrictive eating, psychologically speaking, it's, it's perhaps the most damaging because anytime um, you tell a human that they can't have something, invariably, that's the very thing that they're going to want. That is just human nature, right? And part of human nature and part of what's built into our DNA and our physiology is the desire for sugar, for fat, for the stimulus that those things create in the brain, which lends itself to almost needing to have some of those things in our diet to create that sense of flexibility and freedom, which, listen, most of us want to have those things within reason anyways. And so I think it's really important to approach a sort of dieting mindset instead of all or nothing. First and foremost, let's identify the things that are perhaps what I call the low hanging fruit or the things that we can make the biggest change with, with the least amount of effort. Because then if we can get the needle moving without trying to white knuckle it, well, it's going to drive momentum, it's going to drive motivation, it's going to drive progress, it's going to drive compliance, you're going to be more happy and more likely to continue on that road and start to make better and better decisions. And that's how we start to change someone's habits, behaviors and skills around how to actually start to eat in a way where they can fuel themselves over the long term, instead of, oh, I fell off the diet, I failed again, I will, you know, say screw it, or I'll start again Monday, or I'll just start after this vacation or whatever, all of the things that we've all said to ourselves. 
Yeah, I love that you you brought up that point because uh, as I'm sure you do as well, I see that a lot where they're in that mindset of all or nothing. And then like you mentioned, there's that discrepancy between what's optimal, what's practical for the average person's life. And it is practical to have these little indulgences here and there, but how do you make that work so that you're not always giving into those indulgences and then not making any progress? Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's not just here are the rules, follow them, but how do you go about building that sustainable system? If it was as easy as just following step-by-step rules, then everyone would be doing it. Um, You're right. Which is why I love the approach that you take, which is, you know, working with people as people and everyone has their individual set of circumstances going on. And how do you work with this person, this end of one with what they have going on and develop these eventually, you know, unconscious, competent habits for them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And uh, getting back to, you're talking about calories and that is one of the, if not the biggest limiting factor in one way or another. And again, a lot of times it's because of maybe not realizing that people are eating more than they are, or just not paying attention. So in terms of, of that and the caloric intake, uh, what's one of the biggies that you see holding people back uh, in terms of, you know, how much food they're eating or, or not paying attention to their food? Yeah. First and foremost would be the numbers of meals and snacks that people are eating throughout the day. And so it's not uncommon for many of us to have our three square meals and then another, you know, three, four, five snacks throughout the day, which can be anything from, you know, a piece of fruit to a a Starbucks drink to a pastry to a handful or multiple handfuls of nuts to, you know, the dessert and then the popcorn and then sort of the, you know, numerous things uh, after dinner when you guys are watching Netflix, right? So much so that for many people, they find themselves eating actually all day long. And regardless of whether or not their food choices are quote unquote healthy, doesn't really matter because even if you're eating healthy food, so to speak, the calories can still easily add up to be far more than what you need to be in a calorie deficit if you're trying to lose weight. So one of the things we see and identify very early on in the coaching process is, listen, how many times a day are you eating, right? Because it's if it's anything above four times a day, it's probably too much. And within that, is not needing to differentiate between meals and snacks because the truth is that for most of us if we're actually eating a reasonable meal that's built out with enough protein and i'm sure this is you've talked about this plenty in your group of getting enough protein at your meal you know having some fibrous uh, vegetables that are going to take up room in your stomach and give you the feeling of fullness and provide nutritional value and and even including some starchy carbohydrates um, or even a dessert, if we're getting enough at these meals, we shouldn't be experiencing hunger for another three, four, five hours in between those meals, right? So much so that we shouldn't need a snack. And if we feel like we do, if we're actually hungry, then we probably didn't eat enough of what I just described, usually protein, but more often than not is we're actually just bored tired, stressed, 
or looking for some opportunity to have some sort of brain stimulus that doesn't involve staring at the computer screen, right? For the vast majority of us. And so I think it's so important when you mentioned earlier, Elliot, around how do you teach someone how to make these types of decisions and make it part of their lifestyle is, well, we're all adults and we all need to have the autonomy to learn how to manage our hunger, our cravings, our mood, um, our meal portion sizes, right? That takes practice, just like anything else. It's a skill that we have to develop, right? To the degree that when we build out a meal and we consume it and we realize we're actually hungry two hours later, well, okay, that's a, a great observation that we can make to say, what can I do differently at that meal? Maybe we just had a bagel with cream cheese and some orange juice, and all of a sudden you're hungry and you need caffeine and sugar again after an hour or two. Okay, well, maybe we need to ramp up the protein at that meal. So all of these things give us the opportunity to start to create more awareness and use these experiences as, as helpful observations and learning experiences to then start to make better decisions more frequently which invariably you do that long enough and you can really start to determine, okay, I'm my own best nutrition detective, right? And I can determine what's gonna work best for me. And of course we can be your co-pilot on that journey because we've done this you know, hundreds of times before and kind of help point you in the right direction, but ultimately you're the one steering the car, right? We can say kind of, here's what works for most people, but you can refine as needed. And then ultimately what happens is, all right, if I'm eating more, more meals and I'm snacking less, well, then invariably we end up managing our calories more effectively. And just a quick story for you as an example, we have a client named Dave and Dave was, uh, he submitted his check-in sheet to us this week. And Dave just started kind of paying attention to his calorie intake. Dave realized that when he was sitting at his desk, he's an accountant, and when he's sitting at his desk, Dave was eating upwards of a thousand calories of peanut M&Ms throughout the day, just snacking. And so obviously for Dave, we could say, hey, Dave, go keto, cut out carbs, start intermittent fasting. But wouldn't it make more sense for someone like Dave, who doesn't want to do any of that, by the way, despite the fact that he thinks he needs to to lose weight, to just say, hey, Dave, what if you just ate half the amount of peanut M&Ms. Well, that would say 500 calories a day. That could be up to a pound a week for the average person to say nothing of his alcohol intake, to say nothing of the other snacks that he was consuming throughout the day. What if we said switch from peanut M&Ms to almonds, switch to just a piece of fruit, right? There's just a number of things that we could do instead. But the point within this is, what are you eating in between your meals? If you're eating things in between your meals, why are you eating them? And how do you think those calories are adding up? And what can you do to start to build out your meals in such a way that you are actually satisfied from meal to meal? And you're actually getting comfortable with being hungry. And this is kind of a conversation probably for a different time, but actually experiencing a little bit of hunger leading up to your next meal because that's a very good sign that your hormones are functioning the way that they should, especially your fat loss hormones. We all should be getting more comfortable with being hungry to some degree in between meals, especially if we want to lose body fat. Gold, there are so much gold in there that uh, I think everyone should, if you're watching the replay, pause it, go back and re-listen to that whole segment that, uh, that you just described. And my clients have heard me say this, I, I don't like the word snack because yeah. it implies 
quote snack food, like prepackaged something or a handful of something or whatever. And it's, it's usually processed, usually junk and uh, snacks are just small meals. Yes. And a meal should, like you said, hold you over for at least a few hours. And if it's not, then something (laughs) needs to change. And then building on that, uh, again, I love how you put it, how it's, it's important to make that observation. If you really, if you notice that you're hungry, great observation to make. And then that, that will allow that adjustment to happen in the future to improve things. Um, you know, the, the phrase that I've used that people have heard me say is information, not failure. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean Definitely. that anything you didn't fail. It doesn't mean anything went wrong, but now we have this information to see, okay, well, you did this and this happened. Okay. Now, now what should we do? That's ultimately the best thing that we can do because that's empowering you to take ownership over your nutrition decisions, which is the only way that you're going to be successful long-term, by the way, regardless of whether or not you're tracking your calories or following your macros or following a meal plan, doesn't really matter. The people that are most successful are the ones that have practiced enough and developed the skills to consistently make decisions that work for them and their lifestyle. And just like anything else that we have to get good at, we have to practice it. And, and I think that's really one of the hardest things about our nutrition is we just want someone to tell us what to do. We just want to follow the diet and have success and no one wants to put in the work. And unfortunately, it's the only way. It's the only way that you're going to learn how to do it long term so that you never have to diet again. You know, I love analogies. And this, this just came to mind as you were talking about that idea of building momentum and learning that process. It reminds me a lot of playing music. If you want to know how to play a song, the sheet music is right there. Right. But if you don't, if you never learn how to read sheet music or play the piano or anything like that, right. it's going to be a foreign language to you and nothing's going to happen. And if you start with those baby steps, you know, learn the fingering, yeah. learn what this, what the notes on the staff mean, those right. small steps and develop those skills, build that momentum. Like you were talking about, it has to start with those steps that are achievable build that momentum, build that confidence so they can start to get more and more complex. Yeah. And then before you know it, it's, it's just happening. Fundamentals, man. It's just like anything else, fundamentals, music, sports, any skill development is, is predicated on building the fundamentals. That's what the process is, is necessary to do, you know, in terms of building out your meals and learning how you feel based on certain foods and what works well for you and what doesn't. For sure. Uh, and so uh, still kind of along that lines of potentially over consuming calories. We got the snacking. What's another one that would be sort of the top of your list in terms of what people might be mindlessly doing throughout the day that might contribute yeah. to, to overeating? So the, the next thing is along the lines of snacking, but it's what we call bites, sips, and tastes. It's seemingly uh, non-invasive, but can create quite a bit of caloric damage. And and so this is is sort of the opportunity where you know you're out to eat with your family and the kids get the chicken tenders and fries and they leave half of their plate and you are the you know the person that grew up uh, in the clean your plate club based on your parents and so invariably what do you end up doing you feel bad and you end up clearing their plates for them and eating an entirely separate meal basically the equivalent of an entirely separate meal. So we have a lot of clients who love to cook and they have observed that they find themselves, and I'd probably be included in this, but between the time that they start cooking dinner and it ends up being you know, a glass of wine and then they're kind of noshing on the foods that they're making throughout 
the dinner preparation process, but then also sitting down to an entire meal with their family. So the bites, the sips, the tastes, all of those calories can really, really add up. I mean, just think about a couple chicken tenders and a handful of fries. It could easily be four or 500 calories that you're tacking on to your day to say nothing of what other things that you're doing. And so um, we often see this. And so just creating some awareness and the observations around this gives you the opportunity to start to check in with your existing behaviors. What are the things that you're currently doing? It doesn't make you a bad person. We all do this, right? But if we're not identifying the response to some of these triggers, whether it's just the kids' plates, you know, whether it's ordering too much at dinner, whether it's every time we walk by uh, the pantry, we grab a handful, whether it's just having a couple sips of the kids' drinks here and there, so on and so forth. We need to check in with ourselves and identify what those situations look like so that we can start to make more informed decisions around how we want to navigate those in a more reasonable way so that we can more effectively control our calorie intake. For sure. The bites, sips, and tastes. It's sort of like the uh, the Costco sample issue. Yeah. Like, it's like one bite of corn dog at Costco is probably not going to do anything, but then you go around to all the different food samples yep. while you're in Costco. And before you know, it, you've had a whole meal of fish sticks and corn dogs. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Pretzels. And you know, there's so many different scenarios that you can walk through you go to any kind of party and there's just like a buffet out there. And it's like, you can just have little tastes all night long, but it can end up being a tremendous amount of calories. So having some objectives, having a plan in place, having some structure, knowing what portion sizes look like, um, and knowing when is enough is enough for you is part of the fundamental process of ensuring that you're making the right decisions to support the goals that you said you have. Mm -hmm. If uh, if someone's listening to this and they're realizing, okay, well, that's damn, you're right. That like that's exactly what I do. Do you have any you know one, one or two strategies that you found successful to at least start that process of being more accountable to their yeah. habits? Yeah, I literally take a, a, a notepad and keep it with you for a couple of days and actually write down or just do it on the notes on your phone, but commit to actually writing down everything that you put in your mouth and when, and or ask your significant other to tell you kind of what they've observed, but you have to promise not to get mad at them when they tell you the honest truth of how often you are taking bites, sips, and tastes of all of the different things in the house or whenever you're outside of the house so that you can actually acknowledge, okay, I don't like hearing this, but this is what I'm actually doing. And once you can acknowledge that, you can then start to make some informed decisions around, okay, now that I'm aware of it, I'm actually gonna be cognizant of my environment. So many people just don't realize it's this unconscious eating pattern when they're nervous, when they're anxious, when they're stressed out, all of a the sudden they find themselves halfway into the bag of chips and they're like, what happened? I didn't even know how I got here. That's why we need to start to understand these situations, right? Start to learn how to be present in these situations, start to understand what was the trigger, what was the stimulus that contributed to me wanting to dig into the chips or start eating off of my kid's plate. And, you know, what's the typical behavior? Obviously, it's the eating or or digging into the chips when I'm stressed out or whatever. And how can I uh, in, in, insert some logic and reason to bridge that gap, right? To create some space between the stimulus and the response so that we can start to change that feedback loop. 
so that I can understand every time I'm stressed, I want to turn to the chips or the chocolate, right? Uh, the salty or the sweet. And instead is I'm going to start a new behavior of going and practicing the piano, or I'm going to uh, go out for a quick walk, or I'm going to listen to some music, or I'm going to do some jumping jacks or push-ups, or, you know, I'm going to drink some water, right? Anything to start to change that feedback loop, because the more that we can practice and reinforce that, the more we start to actually change our behaviors. And that's what behavior change is all about. Absolutely. And when you were mentioning those, those two options in terms of uh, being more accountable for those little habits, would you ever suggest the significant other just smacking the, uh, the, the chicken tender right out of the, right out of their mouth, just definitely like in the moment. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Plus> you <laughs> want to get punched in the face. Um, that doesn't seem like that would go off very well. Uh, make making a note of, okay. Don't least, I don't smack. think my wife would appreciate me smacking <laughs> the chicken tender out of her. That would not go over well. So definitely don't do that. Okay. Copy that. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's funny cause I actually, you're, you're talking about making that connection to, to these behaviors. And I know that I've, I've done it myself. Like at the end of the day, when I sit down on the couch to watch TV or something, my first thought is I want to be sitting there eating something Mm -hmm. while I watch TV. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that as well. And I've had to make that connection. Like you're talking about like, Oh wait, I'm, I've made this Pavlovian association between watching TV and eating some type of snack food. Uh, And so that right there, like you said, can be a huge shift in, in, in habits and caloric intake. Yeah, dude, that's it. It's all just reinforced behaviors. We may not realize that we've been doing or gotten into the, you know, the routine of, and so it's really not that difficult to start to change those patterns, but it it does take awareness and making a concerted effort, obviously to start to make some change. So we've been talking a bit about food. I think earlier on, you mentioned something about alcohol being a contributing factor. You want to elaborate on that? Um, I would say, you know, a a pretty significant percentage of the time is alcohol is one of those major contributors to excessive calorie intake without getting too far into the weeds of, of why alcohol is a quote unquote toxin and blah, blah, blah is listen, the body just does not respond well to alcohol. But one of the main problems as it pertains to fat loss is yeah, it's a lot of calories. Uh, depending on what we're drinking. And so that's one thing, but it also really lowers our inhibitions to the degree that it makes ordering or serving up another drink that much easier. And then what often comes with alcohol is the likelihood of you digging into that bag of chips or ordering, uh, you know, the, the nachos or digging into the bread basket, or then even more likely to start to eat food off of the kids' plates. So it's really sort of the thing that perpetuates all of the other behaviors that we just talked about, the snacking, the bites, the sips, the tastes, in addition to really setting up a vicious cascade of poor sleep, poor blood sugar regulation, poor insulin response, which lends itself to more cravings, poor carbohydrate uh, sensitivity, and so on and so forth. So that's really the main problem. And so oftentimes what we talk about is, listen, depending on how serious you are, really only two to three drinks per week seems permittable from a you know fat loss standpoint. Everyone's starting from somewhere different. And so if you're drinking a bottle of wine a night, then maybe backing off to, to two glasses would be a huge step in the right direction. Again, we are all about this not uh, taking an all or nothing mindset, but the key is that you are actually aware and acknowledging how that alcohol is contributing to your lack of progress. 
There's no need to jump on a restrictive diet if, if you're drinking a bottle of wine a night. Instead, just start to make cutbacks there. And then you can, again, start to focus on the other uh, low-hanging fruit. Yeah, you know, I, I love that approach, uh, which, you know, very similar to your example of, of uh, was it Dave who was eating the M&Ms? You know, your, your method of, let's, let's address that low-hanging fruit without being ultra-restrictive. Is it a thousand calories of M&Ms? Well, let's, let's try cut, cutting that in half. Let's start with that, get some momentum and progress there. You're drinking a bottle of wine a night. Maybe it's a couple glasses a night and you can go from there. It doesn't mean that there's not still progress to make down the road, but right. those initial first steps will get them to see some progress without overhauling right. their life and their diet. Um, and, uh, and, and give them that momentum and confidence to, to keep going to the next step and the next step. Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, it's not even so much about the alcohol per se. It's about what's the stimulus. Why are we drinking in the first place? Right. If like, we really wanted to get down to this, why are we eating in the first place? Why are we eating all these stimulating foods? Yes, they taste good, but what, what are we trying to satiate beyond our appetite? Right. Are we stressed? Are we sad? Are we anxious? Are we just unhappy in our job? It's like, why are we drinking all of this alcohol? Cause you know, it's not making you feel better. We know it's only perpetuating things. So, you know, some of those are, are really the ultimately the hard conversations that need to be had, but I think that's really kind of underlying everything is, yeah, theoretically, it's just about reducing our calorie intake. But so much of what we eat and drink is predicated on our social support system, on our lifestyle, on our stressors, on our experiences, on our community, in our environment. And so those are the things that we really need to start to address if we're serious about making lifelong changes as you can change everything but if you're still surrounded in a house with junk food and alcohol you you're only going to be able to white knuckle it so far absolutely and and this again gets back to that idea of it's one thing to have a plan written out for you but it's another thing to work with someone that will help you through that you know and that's what i I've always respected about your approach and the way you work with your clients is exactly what we just described. You having those conversations with your clients. Why are you eating these things? Why why are you drinking this much? Because there almost always is something underlying that. And if you really want to make these permanent changes and and major changes, it's about digging below the surface yeah. to seeing what what's actually going on. What's what's yeah. the why behind that? And uh, again, that's what I think makes your approach so life-changing for people is that you actually have those conversations with people. Yeah. I mean, ultimately that's, those are the tough ones, but when you've been doing it this long, you start to see the patterns and it's like, we're all smart. We're all adults. We, we can all make good decisions if we want to. We all know alcohol is bad for us. It's like, there's another reason why we're drinking. And, mm -hmm. and so until we address that elephant in the room, then if it's not with alcohol, we might have a problem somewhere else. For sure. Uh, so We've covered some food stuff. We covered some beverage stuff. Um, what about on the on the exercise movement side of things? Uh, what do you see holding people up uh, in that yeah. in that realm? Again, is trying to keep things as simple as possible. It's just generally speaking, a massive lack of physical activity. Like plain and simple. Like I don't care what you do, whether you go to the gym and strength train, whether you do spin classes, whether you do Peloton at home, you know, yoga booty ballet doesn't matter most of us just walking like we just need to be moving more frequently throughout the day in any capacity and if you 
currently strength training, maybe you train, you know, for, for a lot of us like fit pros, right? We'll train for five days a week for 45 to 60 minutes and train intensely, but then it's not uncommon for us to be sitting like the rest of the day, right? So even for us, it's just not enough movement relative to what humans are kind of capable and meant to do biomechanically and physiologically, and then all of the benefits that come from just moving enough, right? Better cardiovascular endurance and aerobic capacity and blood sugar regulation and uh, mitochondrial function and energy and stress management and parasympathetic nervous system activation. And like, right, the list goes on and on and on so much so that I think it's really easy for us to kind of say, okay, well, you're only moving like 2000 steps a day or 3000 and let's just bump it up to five or six, which by the way, is a great first step, no pun intended, but really it needs to be something that's just integrated into our lifestyles. So figuring out what level of, and what type of movement that you enjoy that you can do daily. And it's seemingly difficult for a lot of people, especially now, you know, winter and like up north and you and I wouldn't know this, but, you know, like New York, they just got hit with, you know, like sub freezing weather and sounds awful, but, you know, they're not making concerted efforts to get outside and, and walk. Uh, but most of us need to move a lot more. It's very clear the benefits of, of just moving in any capacity. Mm hmm. Uh, I completely agree. Speaking of steps, how do you typically like to use that that step count uh, with clients to kind of give them a gauge of if they're moving enough or not not enough? How do you like to use that? We like that to, to to go with the ten thousand steps a day. I think it's a, it's just a good enough kind of general guideline, whether it's completely arbitrary or not. Again, I think it depends on where someone's starting. But what we've observed is that for most people you know it ends up being around an hour of of walking accumulated somehow throughout the day what now whether they're just physically active in general and kind of find themselves moving around all day or they are a desk jockey and need to actually make concerted efforts to get up and move for five or ten minutes every hour or whatever, uh, that seems to be a good kind of baseline. And then depending on how aggressive they are with their fat loss goals, that can start to titrate up in addition to sort of the intensity of the exercise, as well as kind of the length of their strength training sessions and so on and so forth. But for a, most people just starting to push and progressively increase to somewhere around 10,000 steps a day seems to be a really good um, approach to moving in the right direction. For sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's about, uh, the, the ballpark that I tell my clients as well. And, um, I think that concept, that, that idea of moving more just in general is just, it, it's not valued enough. You know, uh, people think, well, I'm going to the gym five, six, whatever, seven times a week, um, getting a lot of exercise. Well, yeah. I mean, that. That is a that might be scheduled into your your day every day, but then, like you said, what, what are you doing the rest yeah. of the day? Because all that stuff plays a big role in how well your body is working. Yeah, um, one of the things I like to do is just kind of bring this together. But if we were to kind of overview what we talked about, is sort of sticking to three to four meals per day 
And one of the things that seems to work really well in terms of making sure that you're eating enough at your meals, but also getting enough movement and also potentially overcoming some of the cravings that we have for say dessert or snacking in between is to uh, leverage the movement with your meals. And so having a meal and then going out and moving for 10 or 15 minutes after the meal. So eat a meal, go out for a walk. And it seems to really be beneficial in terms of aiding in digestion, aiding in, you know, sort of absorption of nutrients, blood sugar regulation, because we're moving, we're more uh, likely to absorb those kind of sugars into the muscles in the liver versus storing them as fat. It's, it's obviously great just for mindset and stress management. And so obviously most of us eat at least three times a day. If we can compound or stack these habits of, of having a meal with moving for 15 minutes, well, then we've kind of significantly increased the probability that we're going to be successful, not only sticking to our meals, minimizing our snacks, but also increasing our, our physical activity levels, and then creating more clarity around kind of how we feel in between those meals in conjunction with the exercise. There you go. That's, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, and again, like I said at the beginning, what I love about your approach is that it is it's simple and it is um, achievable and and kind of tying it back into the very first thing we talked about, not having that overly restrictive mindset and starting with these achievable habits and or steps. Um, but hitting those those points that you just mentioned will take you most of the way there, pretty yeah. much, or a good chunk of the way there. So uh, I think we covered a lot of gems there uh, on the the food side drink side and movement side any any last closing thoughts that you have uh, before we before we sign off you know we covered a lot obviously and so i i think the best thing that people can do is is kind of ask some tough questions is this is seemingly simple stuff right this, we call it low-hanging fruit for a reason yet time and again these are the things that we see with clients that don't necessitate these overly restrictive diets so we firmly believe that you know, it's kind of our job to help you change your belief system around what it means to be healthy. And in this particular case, it's it's removing ourselves from this all or nothing mindset, this perfectionist mindset, this overly restrictive dieting mindset, and instead taking a step back to what's gonna be reasonable for you and your lifestyle and giving yourself really enough time and permission to make the changes that are necessary, which requires a tremendous amount of responsibility, of autonomy, and of hard work, of, of actually putting in the work to observe what you're currently doing instead of trying to just align with some arbitrary diet plan. And so I would challenge everyone listening here to take a good hard look at their existing routines and see if they can identify two or three areas of seemingly low-hanging fruit that they can start to make uh, progress on and very simply identify one or two things, set a realistic action plan for that week. And maybe again, maybe it's just cutting your alcohol intake in half and putting it on the calendar and just check off the days that you're successful and create some accountability around it and build some compliance around it. And that way you can start to gain some momentum like we talked about. And so uh, hopefully that was helpful. And yeah, man, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. There's some perfect action steps uh, for people to, to finish on. Uh, so if any of this resonated with, with the folks listening, how can they get in touch with you and find you to, uh, to maybe 
talk to you more about this and, and get some help? Yeah, sure. So uh, they can check us out at our website. It's bslnutrition.com. Uh, we have a Facebook group uh, called Smart Nutrition Made Simple Community. And I'll send you the links for those. Uh, and they can also check out our podcast, The Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Uh, we have a free fix my diet assessment. So uh, what we put together is very brief fitness, nutrition and lifestyle assessment it takes five minutes to complete that will kind of give us a good overview of what could potentially be some of your low hanging fruit that we can jump on a call and have a conversation around and hopefully that we can provide some action steps around. There's certainly no commitment involved. It's a perfectly free consult. But should you decide that uh, you want the opportunity to work with us, then that's definitely something that we can suggest should the program feel like the right fit for you you. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Uh, send me the links. I'll put those in the comments for the, the group and that uh, and that free assessment. Um, and man, Ben, it is always a pleasure chatting with you. And thank you for spending the time and sharing your, your wisdom. Pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute honor. Appreciate you and everything that you're doing. And I appreciate your community. So thank you guys for taking the time to listen. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, everyone, uh, this has been the Lean After 40 podcast. I will see you in the group. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, Join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 